0: everyone. Thank you, Jeff, for being our reader. And to, i oh, us see, I think John and Leslie, right, who did the service. Thanks, you guys. Rise and follow me, I'll make you worthy. Rise and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. It's one of our favorite songs in the Otto household. It is a goodie, despite the terrible masculine pronouns. Um, But that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about fishing, fishing for people, and how fishing might not mean what you think it means and how that's actually really good news. So our story is Calling of the First Disciples. This is a story which is in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, And this story is read uh, every single year in the three years of our lectionary schedule. Uh, It's also one that's pretty fun to act out. We have a whole box of fishing nets in the Sunday school closet for this very purpose. I bet they're gonna get used a bunch this weekend. So all that to say, this is a pretty familiar story and image um, to most of us, and um, not one that's been one of my favorite stories over time uh, until I learned some more about it. Uh, One of the most troubling traits in modern Christianity, I think, at least some forms of modern Christianity, is the underlying assumption um, that we Christians are the only ones who get it right, uh, and that our goal is to turn everyone else uh, to be Christians like us, too. And this idea of conversion, that our job as Christians is to create more Christians, uh, that kind of thinking is... Well, it's arrogant at best, is deeply harmful at worst. And it's embedded sometimes really subtly in a lot of the ways that we talk about what we do as followers of Jesus, even even in a place um, like unity that doesn't believe all of that is true. Because um, even if, you know, in the mainline church, we, so- we sometimes soften it. Instead of go out and convert people, we soften it to live your life in such an attractive way that others are drawn in. Um, There's still a kind of innocent sounding arrogance to that right Um, and kind of a a Disrespect of others because maybe they don't no need to be changed Um, Maybe our way isn't better than their their way and like what a boring way to live uh, if you don't think that anyone else has anything to teach us Um, But this evangelism conversion idea, it's got a really strong foothold in the religious discourse of our nation. And in fact, fun fact, if you go to www.fishersofmen.com, that's how they usually translate it, Fishers of Men, um, you could sign up at that website for a 12-week course specializing in person-to-person evangelism, and you can be trained in methods to reach and teach lost souls. So there's a lot of harmful ideas about the conversion narrative, and a lot of it comes from this passage, right? Follow me and I'll make you fish for people because we usually interpret that as evangelism go fish for people like go out catch more converts throw the line out there and reel them in hey i caught another one for jesus right that's usually what we think of um, when we think of christians fishing for people well what if that interpretation of this passage is completely wrong what if fishing doesn't mean at all what we think it means here? What if the whole idea of fishing as evangelism totally misses the boat, pun intended, um, of what Jesus is up to here? Uh, and the way we know this is um, from other scriptures. So let me lift up a couple other scriptures for you um, because this, these stories where Jesus calls the disciples, not the only place in scripture that uses the image of fishing for people, um, nor are they the first place to use the image of fishing for people. So here's three others. Um, they're all from the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. So they're all written way before Jesus and they are all verses that Jesus and his Jewish contemporaries would have known well and they have a very different take. So the first one is from Jeremiah 16. 16 16, I think in the Israelites, they're in exile right now. The Babylonian empire has come in and taken over their country, destroyed their city, desecrated their temple hauled their leaders away um, and they're currently occupying uh, their country and holding their leaders hostage. So in all of that, Jeremiah is this prophet who after several chapters of doom turns in chapter 16 to a word of hope from God to this exiled nation and says, I am now sending many fishermen, says the Lord, and they will catch those Babylonians. They shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill, out of the clefts of the rock, for my eyes are on their ways. They are not hidden from my presence, nor is their injustice concealed from my sight. In other words, the fishermen that God sends out, they're the ones who go out and tear down the occupying empire. Really similar, Amos 4. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. How good is that? Bashan was part of Assyria. So this is when the Assyrian empire was occupying Israel. You cows of Bashan, you who oppress the poor and crush the needy, the Lord God has sworn by their holiness that the time is surely coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks. They will take every last one of you away with fish hooks. Ezekiel 29 to prophecy against the unjust ruler of Egypt. They also occupied Israel at one point. Um, Thus says the Lord, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I will put hooks in your jaws. I will draw you up from your channels with the fish bits sticking to your scales. I shall fling you into the wilderness. You shall fall in the open field. Your body will never be gathered or buried. To all the animals of the earth and the birds of the air, I have given you as food. (laughs) <laughs> Good stuff, right? This image of God reaching down, drawing the evil rulers out like fish from the stream and leaving them in part in the vivid language here, but this is, this is what they're saying, like leaving their carcasses to rot in the desert as they're torn to bits by scavengers. That's what God is going to do to the tyrants. So all this to say, When Jesus says, come with me and fish for people, he's not talking about creating converts. He is calling for emissaries to tear the tyrants from their thrones and turn the world upside down on God's behalf. Jesus is not trying to make a new religion here. He's trying to make a new world. And this is and has always been God's project. Nothing less than a complete overhaul of the world as it is the new creation of the world as it should be and as as it was always meant to be. So for us, it was never our job to reel people in. It has always been our job to be sent out to work for a better world. Now, um, the Old Testament reading that's paired with the Mark reading is kind of a perfect complement to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, it's also a call story, but one with the absolute opposite response. And we didn't include it this week for time because, hey, happy baptism week to baby Nelson and baby Leyland. Um, But the Old Testament reading that goes with this is from the book of Jonah. So like, you know, Jonah and the big fish, Jonah, the world's most unwilling prophet. Um, Because what's the response of Peter and Andrew and James and John? When Jesus calls them, what do they do? They drop their nets and immediately follow him. And our confirmation students are studying the Gospels right now. And so they've learned that that word immediately, that's one of the key words in Mark's Gospel. Um, Mark's Gospel is all about action. It's very fast-paced. And immediately and immediately and immediately, these guys are all in to what Jesus is calling uh, from them. Well, Jonah? Jonah's the exact opposite of that response. Uh, The whole story of Jonah is like, Comical in its wildly exaggerated proportions. So God tells Jonah to take one step to the left, and Jonah goes like a mile to the right. God sends Jonah to minister to this huge city, and Jonah covers one block of it. God asks Jonah to speak to the people of turning and transformation and repentance, and Jonah says eight words, eight measly words, and that's it. You have 40 days to repent, or Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it, <laughs> that's all he says. That's all he's willing to do. But here's the truly amazing thing. His like eight measly words and one block, it works. Even after just that, the entire town believes. They repent, they don't wait till day 39. They immediately begin fasting. Everyone, even the animals puts on sackcloth. Those were like, the, they're like um, itchy shirts that you would wear to show penance. Like it is comically over the top fully and completely the hated godless people of Nineveh respond to Jonah's almost non-existent effort um, to speak to them on God's behalf so by the end of the story Jonah is just as close-minded and small-hearted as he was at the start but still through him God brings total transformation to the people and even the animals of Nineveh this idea this is the heart of our faith of of most faiths not a conversion of souls but a conversion of the whole world Ecclesiastes 3 God is making all things beautiful in their time Colossians 1 God is reconciling all things to themselves Isaiah 43 and again in Revelations 21 behold I am making all things new a new heaven a new earth freedom justice provision peace this is God's plan. This is God's purpose for the world. Do we believe it? Do we believe that something that good is actually the fate of our world? Like when you're imagining just in your own mind, you imagine what direction our world is headed. Whoever imagines something good, right? We imagine climate change, meteors, World War III, the collapse of capitalism, zombie apocalypse. Like that's what we imagine, right? We think about where our world is headed. Whoever imagines a happy ending for us. And it does seem like a little bit of a stretch sometimes when we look around us. And if if that new creation is true, we've got a long ways to go, hey? I mean, I'm not even sure sometimes if we're even trending in the right direction. It takes some real audacity to believe in that kind of destiny. It takes some real faith. And it's like it's the Martin Luther King quote. You know, the, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. It takes some real faith to believe that. But this is what we believe. This is what we try to believe. That God has good things in store, not just for us, but for our whole world. So what's our role in that, other than Believing uh here's a couple of closing thoughts from peter and andrew and jonah and of course jesus first we are not called to pull people in toward us we are always and only sent out god always turns us outward to be curious and adventurous and live to bless others not to change others to bless others and the second one is like we can't stop god's work and thank goodness right Like no matter how reluctant we are uh, to do it or how terrible we are at it, God is making all things new. And God's will will be done even if we don't ever lift a finger to help it. God's will will be done. The ending will be a good one and no power of evil will be allowed to remain on its throne. That's good news. And the last thing is We might not be able to choose if it happens or not, but we can choose whether or not we want to be a part of it. And we can choose how much God gets to change us. Because God wants to make us new too, but that only happens when we're open to it. So we can be Jonah, or we can be Simon and Andrew, or we can be the only person God has ever wanted us to be all along. Ourselves. May we be brave enough to be our best and truest selves, and may we give others the grace and space to do that same thing as we trust that God is making all things.